Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. And now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Well, hello. Uh, <laughs> I missed you all. Uh, welcome to B-Sides. Uh, Revelation. Uh, welcome to B-Sides. We're in Revelation chapter 9 today, verses 13 through uh, 20. I am... Um, I just came from uh, upstairs with my family a little bit, and uh, my my kid was my three year old was on my lap. It's a fun story I thought I'd share, just to warm up. He um, <clears throat> sat on my lap, and he was looking at old photos, and he saw pictures of Christmas, and he demanded that we would have a Christmas tree now. <laughs> I tried to explain to him, but he's three. Nah, it doesn't quite work that way. We gotta wait till Christmas. He ended up throwing himself on the ground, sobbing that there wasn't a Christmas tree in the living rooms. <laughs> so, parenthood. <laughs> and you wouldn't trade it in for a thing. That's the funny part. Because, oh, they're so fun. Um, anyways, uh, well, again, welcome to B-Sides. Revelation chapter 9, starting at verse 13. Let's Jump right in, shall we? Uh, then uh, the... Oh! I forgot. I forgot. Tonight. Tonight uh, at, at 6 o'clock from 6 to 7.30 in Harford County in Abingdon, uh, we are having a Bible study. Uh, I'm going through the Gospel of Matthew. So if this is something you'd like to catch, uh, please just message me. Um... Uh, through Faith Life, and the information will be on, I'm posting on Faith Life as soon as we're done this. Uh, or you can message me, text me, or message me on Facebook, and I'll, I'll get these as quick as I can. Uh, so anyways, verse 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. So, a singular voice comes from the four horns of the altar. Now, a lot of people are you know, trying to figure out who this voice is, what this voice is. This could be the martyrs at the altar. Remember, the martyrs were underneath of the altar. It's not quite at the horns, but they're there, so maybe they're speaking in unison. I remember their prayers ascended, so maybe that's somehow in play. Uh, this could also be the last person we saw at the four horns was the angel who threw the censer uh, to the earth, so maybe it's that angel. Uh, this voice could also, uh, who we know is around maybe the four altars, would be either Jesus or a cherub. Uh, so, so anyway, you slice it though. This is a heavenly voice that is bringing this about. Verse thir uh, 14. <clears throat> Saying uh, to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Um, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. And what a picture of God's sovereignty over everything. <laughs> Clearly God knows the, the exact time down to the hour. <laughs> uh, God knowing this is proof is proof that he is in absolute sovereign control over the cosmos, over the natural and the spiritual. And this should be really not disconcerting, but such a comfort to the church. Because that means God knows the exact moment a trial's going to end. 
The exact moment a health issue subsides, a need is met. This is one of the reasons why the scriptures say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because nothing's beyond him, his timing, or his direction. Uh, and we see that so clearly here. God has prepared for this moment, moment down to, I would even say, the second uh, it, it has been prepared. Verse 16. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. Then I heard their number. Now, the fifth trumpet, the locusts, were clearly demonic. And these horses share so many parallels with these evil beings. However, I, I'm not... <laughs> If you've watched enough of these Monday Bible studies, you know I'm very quick to share when I'm not 100% confident on something. I, I think there's a chance that these horse and riders could possibly be angelic. I don't hold this view, but, but here's my thoughts on, on why it could work out that way. First, they don't hold nearly as many chaotic variations as the locusts. So there's a chance this could be the heavenly response to the first woe. Uh, secondly, the horse and rider come from chapter 6. Uh, the horse and rider uh, from chapter 6 may have been angelic, uh, as these horse and riders might be referencing to, maybe... Uh, and then thirdly, they are numbered, which is the big one. In Revelation, it is the angels, the 144,000, the two witnesses that are numbered by God. And to my knowledge, nowhere else in Revelation is evil numbered, only God's people. In fact, it's very rare to see the unsaved numbered anywhere in the whole Bible. God's constantly giving numbers for his people, but very rarely do we see numbers for the unsaved. So, though they fit these themes of demonic, there is a possibility that they are a type of warrior angel. Again, I don't think so, but it's worth holding as a possibility. Uh, verse 17. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision, and those who rode them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire and of uh, sapphire and of sulfur. Fire is red. Sapphire here in the Greek is hyacinth, which is a yellow red. And sulfur is yellow and, of course, burns red. So they are wearing red and yellow breastplates. And, of course, Revelation uh, loves employing the whole Bible, really, but really in Revelation, threes and sevens here, they wear a three breastplate. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. Uh, the horses, like, like creatures, have heads like lions. And fire and smoke and sulfur came from out of their mouths. Here's another three. Fire, smoke, sulfur. Again, all associate with burning and fire. Uh, verse 18. By these three plagues, so out of their mouth comes a three. Fire, smoke, sulfur. Um... So we have three threes in their description. And then it goes on to say, A third of mankind was killed by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. Uh, verse 17 and 18. Verse 17 and 18 form a chiasm. We have fire, smoke, and sulfur listed twice, placing uh, the a third of mankind was killed dead in the center. So the, the, the way this whole little description 
of who these horses with lion heads are and the, the focal point of who they are, what their ministry is, is that they kill. They are killers. They kill a third of mankind. That's what God is emphasizing in this passage. So the death toll that they bring will be enormous. Verse 19, for the power of the horse is in their mouth and in their tails. Their tails are like serpents with heads, uh, and by means of them they wound. Uh, so not only can they bite, they also, their tails aren't the tails of, of snakes, but the heads of snakes. They also bite with their tails. Point being, you can't flank these enemies. <laughs> they both uh, strike forwards and backwards. These are killing machines. In ancient warfare, if you wanted to take something out, the best thing you could do is flank your enemy, is surprise attack them. These things can't be surprised attack. They kill from all directions. Uh, verse 20. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. And I like how God tells us that these statues can't see, hear, and walk. They, they have no life in them at all. And if we want to think of the first century church, think about the people who first received this letter. Here God is reminding them these statues are nothing. They have no power. They cannot see the incense that is given offered to them. They cannot hear the prayers and the praise that is sung to them. And they cannot walk. They go nowhere. Uh, so all of this idol worship is not received uh, and again and Jesus says but the, the the things that they the the incense the prayer the praise the adoration the veneration all of this from the pagan from the unsaved don't actually get absorbed by these idols they get absorbed by demons behind this idol activity is demonic activity um and that's the text. I, I I'd like to close here. This seems really quick, but I got this is good. One big thought. <sighs> I believe that these horse lion heads are, are demonic, and this note that I have here um, was really hard for me to take out of Sunday service, but I didn't want to, you know, at some point when you talk so long as, as a preacher, uh, you can end up talking so long you lose your audience, no matter how good it is. People can only digest so many things. Um, and one of the greatest compliments a pastor can get is, oh, I wish the sermon could keep going. You know, because it, we've all sat in, in teachings, and maybe you, <laughs> I've done this to you, I'm sure I have, where it's like, boy, this is dragging on. You know, and that's a bad place to be. You want to leave people wanting more. But anyways, uh, I had this note, and I really wanted to add it. It's really, I think, I think this is so important to the text, uh, but it just didn't fit with the flow of what I was trying to communicate Sunday. But I'm really excited I could, I could add it here. So this is, to me, what B-sides are all about. 
Um, so these horse lion head creatures. If we can think back to the study of our first trumpet, you will remember that the seven trumpets often are similar to the ten plagues of Egypt. So the seven trumpets in Revelation are very similar to the ten plagues of Egypt, all the way back to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. Well, each of the plagues of Egypt, if you can remember that, that teaching, served as a specific rebuke against the unbeliever. So, for example, when the sun turned black and darkness came over the land, God was not only showing that he was mightier than their sun god Ra, which, of course, he was. God could blot out the power of almighty Ra, uh, but also that the Egyptians were a people in spiritual darkness. God brought darkness over Egypt to show that they were in darkness. And in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived, there was sunlight because they were not in spiritual ignorance. They were not in spiritual darkness. So these things served as a rebuke uh, to, to the unbeliever. God was giving them a visible, uh, some, a tangible often, demonstration. It says it was a darkness that could be felt. Um, a tangible demonstration of of, of their sins, of their failures. Well, here we are in Revelation, and we have seen two trumpets that are very similar. Uh, we see that the, the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet are so very similar. They are both filled with these hideous monstrosities. They are, we have locusts, scorpions that that are, are, are man-like, woman-like, teeth-like lions. Uh, and, then, and, and, and when they fly, they sound like feet and wheels. And now here we have these horse lions with snake tails. And, uh, and here's what I think we can gather from this. God is showing the unbelieving world what they have become. God sent darkness over the land of Egypt back in the book of Exodus to show that they were in spiritual darkness. Well, here we are in Revelation, and God is sending these hideous monstrosities to torture in our fifth trumpet and now kill in our sixth trumpet to show the unbelieving world what they have become. They are like hybrid beasts. The unbeliever is in complete rebellion against God's created order, uh, just like these hideous monstrosities. In fact, they've become just like the things that are killing them. We've already seen so far in the book of Revelation that the unsaved world, they kill and rage and lie and are unfaithful and given to lust. And I am proposing that God is giving the unsaved world in the fifth and sixth trumpet a visual representation of their own wicked hearts and spiritual life. Now, one of the reasons I think this is because in the fifth trumpet, the locusts didn't kill people. It just said they tortured them to the point of longing for death. That's an interesting note. That stuck out to me. Then in the sixth seal, the horses didn't torture but kill. And, and here's what's clear from chapter 9, is that these two trumpet woes are so alike 
They're so similar, we should note, we should observe, we should poke at and see how they play off of and work together. And this is how I think they do. When the persecution of the church starts in the end days, all, like almost all persecution, it will begin as, as Revelation framed in his early chapters, like the second letter to the church in Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2. How did the persecution start? It started as it was presented to us in Revelation with torture. First, it started with John on Patmos in prison, then in, and then in Revelation 2 with the letter to the church in Smyrna, the second letter. It started with torture imprisonment, forced poverty. But this only lasted for a time. And then we're introduced to our third letter, the letter to the church of Pergamum. And this torture, imprisonment, forced poverty has now taken a turn to martyrdom. Like Antipas, God's faithful witness. The, 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 the torture that made one long for death had turned into martyrdom, especially to those who were faithful. I believe God is judging the world now with great irony. He sends monsters like the unsaved have become to first torture them in our fifth trumpet. Remember, it says they were tortured to the point where they wanted to die. And then God sends the sixth trumpet, the second woe, new beasts who kill. Then they kill just like they killed the unsaved world, killed God's people. So I, I want to make sure you're getting this because I think this is important. The unsaved world first tortured Christians to the point where they longed for death and then killed them. Now the first and second woe tortured people to the point of death, to they wanted to die. And then the second woe, the, the sixth trumpet, killed these people. And again, I think God is sending beasts to show them of the beast that they have become. Now, th this brings up a point. Because all through the Bible, all through the Bible, we have to understand that God often judges and punishes with irony. Now think about it. who killed the, the biggest giant in all of the scriptures? David, a little boy. It's a scene of great humor, of great, of great heavenly irony. We are to almost chuckle that God sent the kid to kill the giant. Then we see Isaac. We see Isaac worshipped his belly. And it was his belly that betrayed him for a stolen birthright. He was going to give the birthright to the son who cooked his favorite food. And he wasn't the son of the promise that God had told them back when the boys were born. God often judges with irony. Which is why in Romans 1, when God wants to judge a nation, a very ironic punishment is to give the godless nation their way and let them fall into horrendous godlessness. So I want to read this for you. Uh, listen to this. Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 8, or Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their un, uh, unrighteousness supp suppress the truth. And we've seen that in Revelation. 
For what can be known about, about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. These people are without excuse for revelation, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Look up at the sky and tell me that's an accident. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks to him. And here we see that God, God's people in worship honor God and are thankful, which we talked about Sunday. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Do you see the idols there? Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst, them, amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to, the, to, up to dishonorable passions. There's the judgment. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And so here it is. The, the ungodly who insist upon evil, they insist upon wickedness, they insist upon godlessness. God judges people like this by giving them up to their own delusions, to their own sins. God, when God wants to judge somebody, he just stops restraining the evil they're trying to bring about. Verse 29, Romans, uh, verse 1, they were, or chapter 1, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, uh, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, <laughs> foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They, they uh, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. They have great pride in their sin. Paul lays out that once God gives a culture who longs for godlessness over, they then not just get their way, they then grow exponentially in more godlessness. So much so that covetousness eventually gives way to envy and malice. And that envy and malice gives way to murder and down the line. And let me tell you, the beginning of sin... A lot of pastors don't say this, and I think it's not wise. I think we should acknowledge this. The beginning of sin can be a lot of fun. Rebelling against God for the first little bit can seem like a blast. The beginning of lust, pride, greed can be a lot of fun. 
But like the fairy tale of King Midas, who everything he touched turned to gold, eventually that sin becomes a curse. And of course, Romans 1 is in a cultural context. When God wants to judge a nation, a very ironic punishment is to give the godless nation their way and let them fall into godlessness. To give them godless leaders who rule godlessly. To have a culture that totally rejects traditional family values and then giving them their way, which, surprise, surprise, makes a culture where families are a mess. And coming back to our text here in Revelation, this is an ironic judgment. God sends beasts to attack the people who have become like beasts. And as a personal note here, I was writing this this b-side out as Roe versus Wade was overturned and our country <laughs> has been falling into such godlessness has been demanding to the point of rioting such godlessness for so long and in so many ways God has stopped restraining some of that evil as an ironic judgment. We are under judgment this country because we've demanded it almost by definition. But this overturning of this law was a moment of abundant grace upon our country. We did not deserve for God to restrain the evil that is hundreds if not thousands of children murdered every day. We did not deserve for God to restrain that evil, yet he did. There was a sense almost as if God in his mercy said, I'm going to restrain some of this evil even though they've been fighting for it. In his loving kindness, he did that for us, for our country, that we may reap a little less judgment upon ourselves. And so this was a great moment of clarity. And so what we see in Revelation and in Romans and all through the Bible, that wicked people, they press into wickedness and eventually God says, fine, you can have it. And the culture descends into absolute wickedness and chaos. And here... God is showing the people, he's sending beasts to show them the beasts that they have become. But as I look at what God has just done in our country, there's almost a sense that he has restrained this evil that the church may celebrate. That we may, what does God desire in Romans 1? That we may honor him and celebrate him. That we may honor God and give thanks to him. And so as the church, we need to give him due honor and glory for this. And we need to, we need to, <laughs> we need to get on our knees and pray and stand on our feet and jump for what he just did for the wrath that he restrained for our country. So that's it. That's today's study. I, I, I just, I had to talk about this Roe Wade thing. I'm so happy about it. Uh, but anyways, um, just some things to chew on on this B-side. Anyways, let's uh, let's wrap this up and pray, huh? God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask for a great, uh, a great day today. We ask for a great week. And God, we ask that you may help us to both honor you and celebrate you this week. You have wrought 
a truly incredible miracle in our country. And of all the people, God, your people should be most grateful. So God, again, help us to honor you and celebrate you mightily this week, we pray. You've told us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let us be full of joy. You said through your servant, Paul, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Help us to be a people of rejoicing. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name, your son. Amen. I love you guys. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.